The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Wednesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us on what is a great time of year in the world of sports. Are you kidding me? The players tease off in less than 12 hours out of the stadium course at Sawgrass. You got conference tournaments going on all over the place as Selection Sunday is this Sunday. One week from tomorrow will be the first round of the NCAA tournament. That is pretty hard to believe. You got free agency beginning on Monday in the National Football League. You got the NBA regular season winding down. A lot of good stuff going on in the world of sports, and we're glad you're with us for the next two hours. Coming up in about 20 minutes, Sam Monson, the lead analyst for ProFootballFocus.com. Love talking football with the guys at PFF, and Sam is one of my favorites. We will talk Jaguars, Evan Ingram, Calvin Ridley, free agency, a little AFC South, and look big picture at the Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson stories as well. So Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus coming up in 20 minutes, coming up at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. My man Joe Cowart as we preview round one of the players. But it was a big day for the Jacksonville Jaguars, a departure and an arrival. And every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. It is a very big deal. And the big deal is the arrival. We will begin there. It is the arrival of Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley was in town today. Calvin Ridley got a tour of the stadium, a tour of the facilities. There is a video on Jaguars.com of Calvin Ridley arriving, and there was a picture in that video of the embrace between Trent Baalke, Doug Peterson, and Calvin Ridley. I tweeted out on my uh, Twitter feed, at Ryan Green, 1010XL. Believe it or not, that's actually what it does say on my birth certificate. Ryan Green does not say hacker on there. So, at Ryan Green, 1010XL, your goal in life should be to find somebody that is as excited to see you as Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke were earlier today to see Calvin Ridley. That was quite the embrace as Calvin Ridley reinstated earlier in the week, and he is officially now a Jacksonville Jaguar. What does he bring to the table? Well, he brought a lot of highlights to the table when he was in Atlanta. This is one that happened in the state of Florida against the Miami Dolphins, courtesy of Fox Sports. They need three for a first down, five for a touchdown. Ryan on the move to throw for the end zone. Touchdown, Calvin Ridley. You hope you get a lot of that, except from Matt Ryan, obviously now it would be from Trevor Lawrence. Calvin Ridley did sit down with Bucky Brooks on Jaguars.com. Really interesting interview that he did. The folks at Jaguars.com did a terrific job with this. Speaking of Jaguars.com, as a matter of fact, our guy Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com will also join us later on on Hacker After Dark this evening. But listen to some of the comments that Calvin Ridley gave to Bucky Brooks there on Jaguars.com. One of them 
Calvin Ridley was asked the hardest part of not playing for what has been now about a year and a half. His last game was October of 2021. What was the hardest part of the last 18 months? Having to watch it at home and knowing I really can't, there's nothing I can do to get back into the game until I get approval, you know? So that, you know, being again, the game being taken away from me, and I was just like, man, I can't even, I, I can't sit home all day. You know, I need a job. I mean, what I do is I always work every day. Football was my job for most of my life. So that was the hardest part, just not being able to run and, you know, be a part of a team and, you know, feel important at that moment. So it was hard. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you guys saw this. The Players' Tribune, Trevor Lawrence did something right after the Jaguars were eliminated about a month and a half ago, thanking Jaguar fans. And today, Calvin Ridley came out with his own piece in the Players' Tribune talking about suffering from depression, suffering from anxiety. The worst mistake of his life was betting on the National Football League. And then in in turn, though, where he is now thanking the Jacksonville Jaguars for giving him a second chance, how much he loves the game of football, maybe Matt now more than ever because he's been without it for the last, you know, year and a half plus. And he basically said, look, if I'm healthy, I'm getting 1,400 plus yards minimum as a Jaguar. So it appears this is a very, very motivated guy that is arriving to Jacksonville. Calvin Ridley also talked to Bucky Brooks on Jaguars.com and gave his thoughts on now his current quarterback, that, of course, being Trevor Lawrence. Uh, his ability. Um, he's a great quarterback, young, smart, got an arm. I'm, I just know that my tools, you know, <laughs> coming to play with him, I could just see, you know, us doing, you know, really, really, really big things. And, you know, he has the, the arm strength to reach me, and, and I can get open on a lot of different guys. And we have a lot of, you know, teammates that can help, but I just think he is a, a, a great talent, the arm strength, and me. And my ability with that, I think it can, it can really work out good. You know, what happened last year, right? The Jaguars signed Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and Evan Ingram. And all three of those guys had career years, right? I mean, Christian Kirk had the best year ever in the NFL. Zay Jones, his best year ever in the NFL. And Evan Ingram broke the Jaguar franchise record for single-season catches and receiving yardage by a tight end. Why did all that happen? Well, there's two reasons. One is obvious. It's Trevor Lawrence. The other is Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson, the play calling, the positions that he gets these guys in to make plays down the field. And now you add Calvin Ridley to that repertoire. You add Calvin Ridley, a guy that's a proven thousand yard receiver in the NFL and the thoughts that Doug Peterson probably has going through his mind about how to use Calvin Ridley are unbelievable. Ridley, earlier today with Bucky Brooks on Jaguars.com, talked about how much he's looking forward to working with Jaguar head coach Doug Peterson. Yeah, um, winning. Uh, like, I went to Alabama. I was a part of a winning culture there. You know, I know Atlanta's a winning culture too, but we didn't. We had a rough, a rough couple years. But I know because Doug has the formula to win. And, you know, I want to be a part of that. And that's what, you know, it's, that's what it's about. That's why we work hard to win those games and be in those important games. I want to be in important games. So I want to, I think Coach Doug and Trevor and the whole Jacksonville organization is going that direction. I, I want to be a part of that, man.
Yeah, look, that is the direction they're going. There is no question about that. More from Calvin Ridley in a bit. Let's end it with one more. Uh, and look, the Jaguars made a nice playoff run. And the Jaguar fan base was very open towards Calvin Ridley right after the season. Very excited about Calvin Ridley. Ridley was asked if he followed the run the Jaguars made in the postseason last year. Yeah, I mean, first of all, the Jazz took me early, man. I was suspended, and they, they, they gave me a chance. They took a shot on me. I mean, I, I think, you know, I thank them so much for taking a chance on me early in that situation. They made me, you know, it gave me some energy. I had a team to watch. I had a reason to, you know, want to come back and be a great player. And like, like, like you said, they were, they started playing amazing. So it was really fun for me to watch them, you know, get better. And I'm, I'm ready to get, get out there, man. That's all I can do. I don't really like to talk too much about it. I just want to play. So there you go. The newest Jacksonville Jaguar, Calvin Ridley, in his sit-down with Bucky Brooks. You can see the entire interview over at Jaguars.com. But it's very excited, you could tell in his voice, to get going. The offseason program begins April the 17th. And Calvin Ridley, now that he has been officially reinstated, will be a part of that program. A guy that will not be a part of that program is Shaquille Griffin. Shaquille Griffin cut earlier today by the Jacksonville Jaguars. That saves $13 million against the salary cap. And the Jaguars wash away. Look, I am not anti-Shaquille Griffin the guy, right? There are some guys the Jaguars signed that I just wasn't very big fans of player-wise or personally. Hugh Douglas chumps right to mind. Uh, with what he did here in Jacksonville and the absolute lack of caring that he gave for this city and this organization. Jerry Porter is another one. Uh, just absolutely ridiculous what Jerry Porter did here, or better yet, what he did not do here in his time. I'm just not big fans of those guys, period. Shaquille Griffin's a little different. I like the guy, he just wasn't a very good signing. As a football player, injuries, what have you, it just didn't work out. But there's no mistaking the fact that Shaquille Griffin will go down or at least is on the list as one of the worst free agent signings the Jaguars have ever had. Is he Jerry Porter? No, probably not. Is he Hugh Douglas? No, probably not. Is he Bryce Pop? I think there starts to be the conversation there. You know, I mean, it, it was just it did not work out here. For whatever reason, the Jaguars gave him a lot of money and things didn't work out. And quite frankly, he was bad this past year. And then he got, quote unquote, injured after the Indianapolis game. We never heard from Shaquille Griffin again. I, I said last week, I thought that whole thing was weird. But that's where it landed. The Jaguars now have cut Shaquille Griffin. And you would think defensive back is going to be a pretty high priority for the Jaguars, either in the draft or in free agency, which begins on Monday. Speaking of free agency, speaking of Shaquille Griffin. And I'll put a poll up, but I mean, the problem with a poll like this is it's going to depend on age, right? Most Jaguar fans on Twitter, you know, are younger, so they'll probably say Shaquille Griffin. Maybe they don't remember Hugh Douglas from 20 years ago. Denmark, do you remember how bad Hugh Douglas was here? 20 years ago, I was five years old. That'd be a negative. Okay, no, I'm just asking. I mean, look, I remember NFL stuff when I was seven or eight, so I have no idea what your 
memory process says uh, Hugh Douglas was here, I think, 2003, 2004, and he was terrible. He was absolutely terrible. Jerry Porter, same thing, terrible. Nick Foles, awful signing, just awful. In fact, come to think of it, Nick Foles might be the worst free agent signing the Jacksonville Jaguars have ever made. I understand why they did it, but I was against that from the very beginning. You can talk to Matt Hayes and Joe Cowart and Leon Searcy about that. I hated that. Uh, Did not like that at all. Thought it was ridiculous at the time, and it proved to be. I mean, $50 million is what he got here, and what did he start? A handful of games, if that. Yeah, he got hurt at the very beginning of his Jaguar tenure, but he was awful when they brought him back after injury. When Gardner Minshew, a sixth-round rookie, is clearly better than you as a quarterback and you got $50 million guaranteed by the Jaguars, yeah, Nick Foles probably is going to go down, at least to this point, as the worst free agent signing in Jaguar history. But Jaguar fans, who am I missing? I've mentioned Nick Foles. I mentioned Hugh Douglas. I mentioned Jerry Porter. Unfortunately, Shaquille Griffin, with his release today, is probably on that list. The Bryce Pop thing, you got to go way back in the memory banks for that. That is for us older Jaguar fans. Bryce Pop was signed here in 19, when did he come in? 96, 97. And Bryce Pop, look, was defensive player of the year when he played behind Reggie White in Green Bay as an outside linebacker. He also played behind Bruce Smith in Buffalo as an outside linebacker. So he's in a 3-4 scheme behind Reggie White and behind Bruce Smith. The Jaguars give him a ton of money and convert him to a 4-3 linebacker and don't bring Bruce Smith or Reggie White with him. Came here in 98. 98, okay. So the Bryce Pop thing, look, people still consider him one of the worst free agent signings ever. I'll admit he wasn't good, but he was put in a pretty unfair position. You switched positions on the guy, and you took for granted the fact he played behind two of arguably the best defensive football players that have ever lived in Reggie White and in Bruce Smith. But are those the top five? Is Shaquille Griffin in the top five? Is he with Hugh Douglas, Jerry Porter, Nick Foles, and Bryce Pop? Hit me up on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures, 641-1010. We also might take some phone calls later on in the program. The Shaquille Griffin era of Jaguar football has come to an end. And look, as much praise as I give Trent Baalke, and he deserves a ton of it, an absolute ton of it, from Roy Robertson-Harris to Rayshon Jenkins to even Marvin Jones was good for what they paid him. And then obviously you get into Arden Key, Darius Williams, Fadakasi, Aluikin, Kirk, Zay Jones, Ingram, Brandon Sheriff, home run after home run after home run for Jaguar general manager Trent Baalke, the one that he messed up was Shaq Griffin. You can't get them all right. No one's perfect. Believe me, in the world of NFL general managers, no one is perfect. And that's Baalke's one that he probably wants back is Shaquille Griffin. But again, that ends today. Shaquille Griffin released by the Jaguars. Wish him the best, man. Hopefully he can catch on somewhere else, turn his career around. He was a good player in Seattle. Good player in Seattle. But for whatever reason, did not mesh, did not work here in Duval County. 
But is Shaq Griffin in the top five worst free agent signings in Jaguar history? And am I missing anybody? Again, Porter, Douglas, Pop, Foles, Griffin. Is he in the top five? Hit me up on the text line, 641-1010. Free agency begins on Monday. Will Aaron Rodgers be a New York Jet by next week? Will Lamar Jackson still be a Baltimore Raven next week? And will Jawan Taylor still be a Jacksonville Jaguar by this time next week? We got a lot to get into. Sam Munson, one of the lead analysts of one of my favorite websites, profootballfocus.com. Let's talk Jaguars, free agency, a little Anthony Richardson, and a little NFL news at large with Sam Munson of pff.com. That's next. It's a Wednesday night in Jacksonville, Florida with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us. It's 1010XL, 92.5 FM. It's Hacker After Dark. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Now, another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. We are less than a week away from NFL free agency. There's a ton that's already gone on with the Jacksonville Jaguars and around the AFC South. And will Aaron Rodgers soon be playing in New York City? There is a ton to get into with that. Sam Monson, the lead NFL analyst of Pro Football Focus, one of my favorite websites out there. And Sam joins us here on 1010XL. Sam, how you doing? Doing great. How are you? Sam, we're good, man. Know you're busy this time of year. Thank you for the time. And we mentioned Jacksonville. Boy, a lot has happened right here in our own backyard this week. We'll begin with Evan Ingram getting the franchise tag. Sam, what was your opinion on that, the Jaguars tagging Ingram? Yeah, I think it was a good move. The franchise tag is interesting because for a couple of positions, I think it is still a kind of undervalued uh, final number that those guys are going to be playing on for one year. I think tight end is definitely one of them. Evan Ingram showed last season he can be a really important part of this team. The things that people liked about him as a prospect, as a player for the Giants, he's got that speed. He's a difficult cover. Those things showed up when you've got Trevor Lawrence as your quarterback. So to bring him back on a one-year deal for a pretty modest amount of money I think it's just it's smart roster construction. Like they can keep a nucleus of very good players around Trevor Lawrence heading into this really important season for him. Yeah, they have to the middle of July to reach a long-term deal. If not, the one-year franchise tag would apply. Bottom line, Evan Ingram will be a Jacksonville Jaguar in 2023. Sam, what a turnaround for him, right? From going from a, quote, bust in New York and the fans up there wanting him out to being franchise tagged in Jacksonville a year later. Boy, that's some turnaround. Yeah, I mean, he had that impressive season. It's a big uh, big jump for him going forward, but I think a lot of it was we finally started to see the, 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 the plus points of his game actually be used in a quarterback that could finally start making use of it. Like, he, he's a good match in that Jacksonville offense, and I, I think we're sort of seeing what he's capable of now. Sam Monson, Pro Football Focus, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Sam, earlier this week as well, Calvin Ridley got reinstated. Boy, the NFL did not take any time with that. He applied less than three weeks ago. They reinstated him here at the beginning of March. Uh, Your thoughts on Ridley and what he brings to the Jaguar offense? 
Yeah, I think that's a really exciting addition. I mean, we liked it a year ago when they kind of took the gamble that he would be reinstated and that it would all come back and he would be able to step into this offense. Um, he, uh, Doug Peterson, we were talking to at the combine and he was saying, um, you know, they love what he can do and, and potentially come in and be that X receiver for them and give them a true outside perimeter threat that they haven't necessarily had, even with Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram. So I think from a complimentary piece standpoint, it fits the offense. It brings a uh, specific skill set that they haven't really had. And even if he can't become you know, a true number one wide receiver, quote unquote, I think the fact that he uh, changes the totality or the, the composite of the the skill sets that those wide receivers are bringing means the wide receiver room or the, the, the weaponry that Trevor Lawrence has overall is going to be better. So I, I love that move for them. I think it's a great gamble. And if Ridley is anything like the player that he was before his suspension, I think it's going to be a great move. Sam, as you can imagine, the excitement level here in Jacksonville is through the roof based on the way last year ended. Your personal opinion on Trevor Lawrence, what's your thought on him moving forward? Yeah, I think he ended the season looking like one of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL. Um, up until that point, we had been a little bit sort of worried saying, where is this generational talent? This guy that was supposed to be the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning or even back as far as John Elway. We hadn't seen that guy. There had been flashes here or there, a play here or there. But overall, he really hadn't shown much. Um, obviously, the first season you had the Urban Meyer disaster sort of clouding everything. But it, it took half a season last year for him to really start showing that on a consistent basis. But once he did, it really was like a switch had just been flipped. And he's a different quarterback now than he looked earlier in his career. And playing at the kind of level that looks like he belongs in that AFC playoff picture with these guys like you know, Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and the very elite quarterbacks in the NFL. So I'm excited for what next year looks like for him because they are building a better team around him. Sam Monson, the lead of a pro football focus analyst here with us on 1010XL Radio in Jacksonville. Sam, as we wrap up our Jaguar thoughts, want to expand to the AFC South and the rest of the NFL. But clearly the Jaguars have two big free agents that are going to go on the market, it appears, next Monday. We'll begin with Jawan Taylor. And what's interesting about your website in PFF, you guys maybe aren't as high on Jawan Taylor as some of us are here in Jacksonville. What is your thought on Taylor and his uh, prospects once he hits the market next Monday? Yeah, I, I mean, he is a good pass protector. I think that's the, the most important thing. And the thing that's going to make him money um, is this is a passing league, first and foremost, and teams want guys that can protect the quarterback, that can protect on an island. And Jawan Taylor can do that. He gave up 21 pressures in 19 games, I think, last season. Now, I think four or five of them were sacks. So, that, you know, if you're going to lose, it would be ideal not to lose in a way that gets the quarterback hit at the end of it. But 21 pressures in 19 games is a pretty phenomenal return. Um, and the entire Jacksonville offensive line was kind of like that. They were very one-dimensional. They were one of the better pass-blocking teams in the NFL, but they ranked dead last in run-blocking grade, um, the worst in the NFL. And Taylor is, is in the same kind of mold. He's a good pass-blocker, but what drags down his overall PFF grade is bad run-blocking. Now, that's going to 
matter different to different teams. There are going to be some teams that do not care that he's not going to be a plus run blocker. That he's not going to be uh, helping in that area. And there are going to be other teams for whom it is a bigger deal. And those teams presumably are not really going to be in the market for a Juwan Taylor or just not going to be willing to go where other teams are. But I think he's definitely going to be one of the uh, kind of marquee free agents and a team that a lot of uh, or a player that a lot of teams will be coveting. If the Jaguars lose him, and I think it's trending towards that way, Sam, to be honest, the thought here is that you just move Walker Little to right tackle. Cam Robinson comes back from injury and plays left tackle. Is it that simple, you think? Is that what the Jaguars should do, in your opinion? Yeah, possibly. I think they have a couple of options. Um, obviously, Walker Little, they drafted a, a couple of years ago. He's a guy that's come in and shown sort of mixed results when he's been on the field. But they're also going to be in position to draft a replacement if it comes to that. Um, I think they're going to be in the kind of area in the draft where there will be starting tackles available. Um, so maybe they go one or other of those routes, but maybe they also do both. You know, Walker Little is the the, the starting plan, um, and a, a rookie can can potentially take that job for him from him, or a rookie is supposed to start and Walker Little is there as the contingency if it doesn't look like the guy's ready right out of the gate. So. I think between those two options, they can probably come up with a pretty good game plan to, to man that other tackle spot. Evan Ingram came to Jacksonville, Sam, on a one-year prove-it deal, and he certainly did that, the franchise tag, as his reward. On the defensive side of the ball, Arden Key came here last year on a one-year prove-it deal, and he pretty much did that in limited snaps. I don't think he played 50% of the snaps, but he was a force towards the end of the year. He is scheduled to hit the market on Monday. How important is it for Jacksonville, in your opinion, to try to retain Arden Key? I think it's pretty important. Um, Jacksonville has, have obviously been just drafting these edge rushers for years now, whether it's Caleb on Chason, Josh Allen, um, Trayvon Walker. Like, they keep swinging for these guys at the top of the draft, and none of them have really become the dominant force that they were supposed to yet. Josh Allen has become a very good player, um, and I wouldn't want to sort of diminish his career yet, but – None of those guys have really become what they were expecting. And yet Arden Key has kind of quietly emerged in the NFL over the last couple of years as a pretty good situational pass rusher. He was a guy who came in out as a very sort of undersized, lightweight edge rusher. He was big and long, but he had zero kind of bulk to him. And those guys tend to struggle in the NFL. And he did. But he's really packed on some muscle and some size over the, over his career, and in the last couple of seasons has been like a real force as a, a situational guy. Last season he had over 50 pressures um, on, as you're right, you know, 368 pass rushes, so a pretty low number. That's the kind of guy I think that you want to keep around until, you know, somebody like Trayvon Walker takes a huge step forward and becomes a, a true dominant force. And even if that happens you kind of like having somebody like Key around who can have that sort of juice off the bench as that rusher. I, I think it's a pretty important guy to keep for Jacksonville. Final moments here with Sam Munson of ProFootballFocus.com. Sam, the AFC South has undergone a lot of changes in the last month. Two brand-new head coaches in Indianapolis and Houston, potentially two rookie quarterbacks that are going to start for them this year. And Tennessee looks like they're on the verge of a full rebuild. What's your thought on the teams in the division outside of Jacksonville. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Jacksonville's division to win all of a sudden. Houston presumably are going to get their quarterback at the top of the draft. Even if they do, 
I think they have quite a long way to go to build a good team around that guy. So it's difficult to see them contending this season. The Colts could bounce back quite quickly with a quarterback. I, I think the pieces are there for that team to be pretty good. The offensive line was miserable last season. Um, it shouldn't be that bad again. They have some players to work with either side of the ball. I could see the Colts challenging in that division quite quickly. And then Tennessee, I think their their fingers are kind of hovered right over the reset button right now. I, I think they're really deciding whether they want to blow this thing up and completely reboot the franchise. And if, you know, Derrick Henry is traded away and then Tannehill is released, these are the kind of signs that says we've we've pushed that button now. This is this is a team that's going to look to the future and not right now. So Jacksonville is in pole position in that division. And really, the Colts might be the only team that can can kind of get on their heels. Sam, we have seen some unbelievable contracts for quarterbacks in the last 48 hours. Geno Smith, three years, 105 million. Daniel Jones, four years, 160 million. We're obviously keeping taps on all this because of Trevor Lawrence next year. Uh, but Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert are going to be up first. If Daniel Jones is getting $40 million a year, Sam, my gracious, what's Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow going to get? Yeah, I mean, they're they're going to get monster deals. To be honest, I I don't think they're really comparable contracts. The, the Daniel Jones, $40 million a year thing, it looks gaudy from the headline figures. It's closer to a two-year deal in, in reality. Now, it's still two years at, you know, $40 million a year, more or less, but when you consider the alternatives for them were to franchise tag him at between 35 and 45, depending on which type of franchise tag they used, maybe tag him again the next season. If they, they still weren't quite sure, like you're in the same kind of area anyway, that's just how much it costs to keep a quarterback around on a second contract. But guys like Joe Burrow, I mean, they are going to be the guys that reset the marketplace. They're the next quarterback that is going to get, whatever top of the market looks like. And the question for the Bengals is, you know, how do you structure that? Does that look like the Patrick Mahomes deal, this 10 year, half a billion dollar contract? Does it look like the Josh Allen deal, which is structured slightly differently and is still fairly team friendly, or do they try and target the, the Deshaun Watson contract, which is the one that is kind of ruining everybody right now, this five year fully guaranteed deal that the Browns gave out a year ago. And I don't even know if Mike Brown has that kind of cash on hand to put that money in an escrow and make that happen. So yeah, the, the borough contract in particular, I think is going to be the next one to come along and really kind of reset what quarterback pay looks like. Sam, I want to end with Anthony Richardson, final NFL topic. We can go rapid fire. Lamar Jackson, is he a Baltimore Raven in a month? Aaron Rodgers, is he a New York jet in a month? Um, yes to both of those. I think ultimately the thing with Lamar, I don't think he's going to get enough interest from other teams. I don't think there's enough around there for whom it makes sense. I think he's going to end up Baltimore matches any contract that comes along and he's playing for them again. Sam Munson, profootballfocus.com. Sam, by the way, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers quickly. You do believe he will be a New York Jet? I do. I think it, it makes sense for both sides. For Rodgers, the Jets have a team that can contend immediately if they put him on it. And for the Jets, Rodgers is the kind of home run they need at the quarterback position to contend in this murderer's row of an AFC. Like if, if you put Derek Carr in that team, sure, they're good, but they might not be the, the they could be the fourth best team in the division still. If you put Aaron Rodgers on it, 
they should be contending with Buffalo or whoever's at the top of that division to win it, make the playoffs, and, and go on a run. Boy, the thought of Aaron Rodgers not in a Green Bay Packer uniform, that is pretty crazy. Sam Weavis with us, Anthony Richardson, a big topic down here, obviously, in Jacksonville. There's such a disconnect, right, between what the college football people think of him and what the NFL draft and the NFL draft folks think of Anthony Richardson. What is your opinion on Anthony Richardson and his pro prospects? It's still evolving, to be honest, because um, I was so impressed by his combine performance. Obviously, we knew he was athletic and he was gifted and talented. I didn't realize quite how amazing it was. Like, I didn't think he was really in that Cam Newton area of this is absurdly dominant, even against NFL athletes. You know, I didn't think he was quite that level of imposing. And yet he had the kind of combine that gave him the highest um, relative athletic score of any quarterback in NFL history. So that, I think, gives him an extremely high floor. People are going to talk about him as this high ceiling, low floor type of quarterback. But I actually think with that athletic profile, his floor is very high. Like, it's really difficult to be terrible if you're that athletic but his accuracy is terrible and we saw that even at the combine even throwing against air just the wide receivers next to cj shroud he looked like a completely different type of thrower so he has phenomenal potential he has a very high floor i think but teams need to figure out if they can fix that accuracy quarterbacks have come into the nfl who needed work in their accuracy and teams have been able to fix it recently lamar jackson had the worst accuracy in the league as a rookie, got better. Josh Allen had terrible college accuracy, got better over the first few years. So if teams think they can do that with Anthony Richardson, there's a genuinely special player there. If they don't, I think there's still a capable player there, but it's going to be a very unique offense for them to, to build around him and have that work. Sam, for people that listen to my show, they know I love PFF. Working the good folks here in Jacksonville Find your work, your podcast, give yourself a little bit of love. Yeah, PFF underscore Sam is me on Twitter, uh, the PFF NFL podcast, anywhere you listen to your podcast, including YouTube, and uh, obviously PFF.com is where all the stuff is. Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus. Sam, know you're busy, brother. Thank you for the time, as always. We'll talk again soon. No problem. Thanks for having me. There you go, Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus, here with us tonight on Hacker After Dark, and we certainly appreciate him taking time out. And that's kind of where we are, right? We mentioned the AFC South. All right, brand new head coach in Indianapolis and Shane Steichen. They're going to draft a quarterback by all indications. And if you draft a quarterback in the top five, odds are you're going to play him. So it could be a rookie quarterback and a first-year head coach in Indy and the same exact thing in Houston. D'Amico Ryan's now the head coach. They pick number two. All indications are they are also going to draft a quarterback so potentially two first-year head coaches, two rookie quarterbacks, and then I don't know what they're doing in Tennessee. We already know they've released Bud Dupree, Zach Cunningham, Taylor Lewan, Robert Woods, Randy Bullock. There's talk that they're shopping Derrick Henry. Some reports have disputed that, but at least there's still conversation about that. I like what Sam said. Tennessee has their hand hovering around the rebuild button. The question is, will they smack that button down or will they try to wait one more year? Derrick Henry coming into the final year of his contract. So even if they don't trade him this year, one would think this would be his last year 
in Nashville. One would also think this would be Ryan Tannehill's last year in Nashville. So if they don't do the full rebuild this year and they try to piecemeal it together again with Tannehill and Henry, we'll see. But good grief. On paper, you just look at those four teams in the division, it's not even close right now. Not even close as to who the team that is by far and away the front runner is. And that, of course, is your Jacksonville Jaguars. More on the Jaguars coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, will join us at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. Coming up in less than 20 minutes, Joe Cowart, as we are inside of 12 hours away from the first round of the players out of the stadium course at TPC Sawgrass. And we'll look ahead to first-round action with my man Joe C., of XL Primetime. As always, here on Hacker After Dark, a couple of things. Number one, you can stream us every night on YouTube and on Twitter. Just go to 1010XL on both YouTube and Twitter. You'll see Hacker After Dark there, streaming live until 10 o'clock tonight. Feel free to give us a watch from the comfort of your own home. We would certainly appreciate it. And Dylan Denmark and I are givers here on Hacker After Dark. We're here for you the late-night audience in Northeast Florida. We do this for you, the hard-working men and women that are out there making it happen. Or, I guess, those of you that are coming home from dinner. Either way, we're here for everybody on a Wednesday night on Hacker After Dark. And because of that, Dylan Denmark, what do we have for the good folks this evening? I got a pair of tickets to the, not the Celtics, but the Celtic Music and Heritage Festival in St. Augustine on March 11th. Give me a call at 904-641-1010. Celtic Music and Heritage Festival in St. Augustine, March 11th. Caller 4 right now, 641-1010. And Dylan Denmark will hook you up with a pair of tickets to that event, March 11th in St. Augustine. Caller 4 right now. Coming up next, it's conference tournament time. Selection Sunday is this Sunday. We'll talk a little college hoops next on Hacker After Dark. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. Wednesday night, Jacksonville, Florida. Glad you're with us. 1010XL, 92.5 FM. I asked you a little earlier on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Is Shaquille Griffin among the top Five worst free agent signings in Jaguar history. I threw out Shaq Griffin, Nick Foles, Bryce Pop, although that's the one I don't think might be fair. And then, of course, Jerry Porter and Hugh Douglas. And it will be very hard to ever top Nick Foles, Jerry Porter, or Hugh Douglas. But some folks on the text line did hit me up. I got a couple of Julius Thomases. Andre Risen, no, I disagree with that. Andre Risen, first off, what you didn't spend big money on him. Secondly, he actually did a couple of nice things when he was here. He gets released midway through the year and goes on to win a Super Bowl in Green Bay and catch a touchdown in that Super Bowl win over the Patriots. So I would not put Andre Bad Moon Risen among the worst free agents ever. Zane Beatles, I would. That's a good one. The 6-3-1 was Zane Beatles. Absolutely. He was not very good. Aaron Aaron Ross was a turd. I do remember that. This city rallied around Aaron Ross's wife. She was an Olympian, remember? We were so happy for Aaron Ross and his his wife and 
all her success in track and field. And then Aaron Ross, for whatever reason, I guess it was a bad parting of the ways with the organization, and he decided to run his mouth when he left here. Talk about a paid vacation. That's all his time here in Jacksonville was. And, yeah, that just kind of left a bad taste in your mouth. But Aaron Ross can't be on the worst free agent list because he wasn't nowhere near the best player they ever signed. He was a guy. Hugh Douglas was a great player when they signed him. Jerry Porter was a very good player when they signed him. Nick Foles has a Super Bowl MVP. Aaron Ross wouldn't apply because Aaron Ross was a dude when they signed him. And then for whatever reason, he decided to run his mouth uh, after he left here, which was unfortunate. Denmark, when you get a chance, yes, sir. give me Julius Thomas's numbers as a Jaguar. Because I don't believe... He wasn't good, don't get me wrong, but I don't think he was awful either. Keep in mind, he did not bring Peyton Manning with him from his time in Denver. All right, I got him right here. Okay, what do you got for Julius Thomas as a Jaguar? 2015, his first year, uh, 46 catches, 455 yards, five touchdowns. Following year, 30 catches, 281 yards, four touchdowns. Following year after that, he was in Miami. So those two years, that's what he did. All right. I mean, look, is that good? No. But 46 grabs for 400-plus yards and five touchdowns. I mean, if you want to do stats, he had more touchdowns that year than Evan Ingram did this year. Ten yards a catch. Yeah. I mean, that is, is that good? No. But – does that make you one of the worst free agent signings in Jaguar history? Probably not. That's a very meh. Jerry Porter was awful. Nick Foles was awful. And Hugh Douglas was awful. That's why, to me, those are going to be the three. Shaq Griffin doesn't get into that list, although I do think Shaq is absolutely in the top ten, maybe the top five of the worst free agent signings ever. And Shaq Griffin was released today by the Jacksonville Jaguars. So... I'm watching a little TV earlier today, and high noon hits, and all of a sudden, I see the ACC basketball tournament going on. I did, whoop, a double take. And then I remembered I watched a little Florida State yesterday. But yeah, conference tournament play is here. Selection Sunday is this Sunday, and we are one week from, really one week from yesterday will be the games in Dayton. But the field of 64 will get underway a week from tomorrow in the NCAA tournament. And I'm curious, Florida State season came to an end yesterday and they were awful. One of the worst Florida State basketball seasons they've had, the worst they've ever had under Leonard Hamilton. So that goes back a good 20 plus years. I don't remember an FSU season. I mean, they finished like nine and 24. Just horrible. And then Florida, obviously, isn't going to the big dance either once they get eliminated from the SEC tournament. So I don't know if the lack of success by both the Gators and the Seminoles has done this. But the NCAA tournament, to me, is going to feel weird, man. It's going to feel odd when the Gators aren't in, the Seminoles aren't in. I'm curious the last time we've had an NCAA tournament where Florida and Florida State did not make it. Miami will be in. Miami's going to be a pretty high seed, right? They they won the ACC regular season, I want to say. I think they're the one seed in the ACC tournament. They get underway tomorrow. There's actually a chance Florida Atlantic is going to get in. But, yeah, you're not going to have the Gators in there, barring a miracle at the SEC tournament. And Florida State season has already come to an end. 
So just odd that we're here at conference tournament play. The Gators actually play tomorrow at 1 o'clock against Mississippi State to try to keep their season alive. If the Gators win a game or two, maybe they find their way into the NIT, which I guess would be good for this team to have more reps, more games under their belt with Todd Golden, but clearly not the year everybody hoped for. And as far as the Seminoles go, like I said, their season's over. So maybe the lack of success in both Tallahassee and Gainesville, but just odd that Selection Sunday is four days away. It just certainly does not seem like it, does not feel like it. And the end of an era earlier today in the world of college basketball, just see this, Jim Bayheim of Syracuse, after they lost today in the ACC tournament, announced he's done 47 years as the Syracuse head coach, 47 years, and now he's done. He is stepping aside. One of his lead assistants will take over, and he was kind of the last of a generation, right? Well, I guess maybe you could include Tom Izzo in that, but when you think recently with Roy Williams and Coach K and now Jim Bayheim, you throw Jim Calhoun, who has stepped aside, um, Jay Wright at Villanova, I mean, all of these legendary, legendary college basketball coaches all calling it a career. Uh, now you wonder if it's a coincidence or you wonder if in the land of NIL and the transfer portal and everything else that's going on in college athletics, if a lot of these older guys that have been doing it for a long time just want to get out, are done with the nonsense of what's going on in the world of college athletics. Certainly interesting, but again, a great career for Jim Beheim. 47 years. I don't know if we'll ever see that again at a big-time college program like they have at Syracuse. Quickly before the 9 o'clock hour, again, talking golf with Joe Cowart of XL Primetime as the players gets underway in less than 12 hours. Denmark, I don't know if you saw this, but CBSSports.com earlier today had a story that college football attendance rose in 2022 with the largest year-over-year increase in 40 years. You got to go back to the early 80s to see the largest increase in stadium capacity in the world of college football that you saw in 2022. Look, there was a problem with attendance for college football. We've seen it at Dope Campbell. We've seen it at the Swamp. I kid because I care, but it's always been a problem in Coral Gables. But you even saw empty seats at Death Valley and Baton Rouge. We've seen empty seats at Neyland Stadium. You see empty, look, you do. You see empty seats in Athens from time to time, which is amazing to think about. Denmark, you're still a guy that's in his mid-20s. He graduated Florida a couple of years ago. You still go to every Gator home game, and I'm sure you love it. Most of them. Why do you still find the reasoning to go as opposed to watching it in the comfort on your own home on your own big screen TV? Because uh, I got alumni seats, so it's still cheaper uh, than the actual season ticket. I think the season ticket's like almost double what it is for the alumni. So that's one reason. And another reason, I mean, it's just – a big game, there's nothing like being at a big game. Like Florida Alabama in 2021. Last year, um, the Florida LSU game, that wasn't really as big. There was one game am I missing? I was big in the swamp last year. Um, Utah, thank you, Bubba. 
uh, the Florida Utah game. Like you can't beat that experience being at the game compared to being at home. Now, I mean the the cupcakes, the ones that are in the Vandy's. I really don't go to those, but the big games I go to. I used to love going to Gainesville. I've been to Baton Rouge. I've been to Knoxville. I've been to Vandy, believe it or not. I've been to Commonwealth and Lexington. I've been to a lot of SEC stadiums. And I used to love it, man. But college football became the victim of their own success. It is so good on television now. The pregame shows, the in-game analysis, the fact that, look, with the Jaguars on Sunday too, and what I do on Sundays with the fifth quarter that weighs on my mind as well. Do I want to go spend an entire day in Gainesville when I'm going to dedicate an entire Sunday to the Jaguars and, and my job, which I love. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But I think there came a point for me, you know, when I turned 28, 29, 30 years old in Denmark, I'll be curious with you in a couple of years, if it just gets to the point where, all right, you've been to so many games, you kind of get it out of your system. Look, I get it. I was 25 once. I went down to the swamp and we played beer pong till we couldn't stand up straight and we walked into the swamp and then after the game, we hit all the bars in downtown Gainesville. Yeah, yeah. I don't do any of that stuff. Well, that's shocking to me because yeah. uh, you're a single and ready to mingle guy. Then I drank enough for both of us when I was 25 years old in Gainesville. But there came a point when if the Gators play at 7 o'clock against Utah, for example, but I wanted to catch the 3.30 Miami-Alabama game. And it's hard to do that when you're traveling and now, tailgating and this, that, and the other. I will say, so I remember the Florida LSU game. I was sitting on my phone watching the Alabama-Tennessee game. Like, I watched the entire last 10 minutes while the Florida LSU game had just started. Yeah. So, I mean, you have that. Like, you you have internet now in the stadiums, which, for whatever reason, that got a lot better last year compared to previous years. So, it's not like you're completely out of the loop as it was when you were growing up, when you, when you were in your 20s. But, I, I mean, I do understand where you're coming from. And, look, the bottom line is, and, again, I'm a little older now than I was, but there's just something appealing to me about a 70-inch big screen in my man cave with my own bathroom and my own refrigerator and parking in my own driveway and not having to deal with traffic, leaving Gainesville. And if this is a get-off-my-lawn, old curmudgeon moment, it's fine. But that's just the way I kind of feel about it. I try to still go to a game or two a year, and I'm excited when my son gets a little older because I'll certainly take him to Gainesville. I'll take him to Tallahassee. We just took him to his first Iceman game. I'm going to hit a Jumbo Shrimp game. I'm going to hit a Jacksonville Shark game. We're starting to do all that with him, but I'm quite frankly surprised that college football attendance rose last year. It was becoming a problem with people not going and this is certainly a good sign for college football that more and more people, according to this report on CBS, are going back to the stadiums more so than they were in previous years. The 9 o'clock hour has arrived. We are inside. Heck, we're inside of 10 hours till the players tease off tomorrow morning out of the stadium course at TPC Sawgrass. Let's talk to a guy that lives the game of golf. Joe Cower, you hear him every day on XL Primetime. We'll preview the players. We'll talk about some of the guys that aren't here. We'll also talk about some of the guys that are here. That's next. Hacker After Dark on a Wednesday, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Now. 
Hello. Another great guest on the Farah and Farah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farah and Farah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. We are on the eve of the players. It gets underway in less than 12 hours out of TPC Sawgrass. An interesting field this year, although some big names not here, thanks to the Live Golf Tour, which we will get into in just a moment. Let's go to the mayor of Ponte Vedra this time of year, my man Joe Cower. You get him every day on XL Primetime, and he's always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. Joe C., how we doing, bud? I'm doing great, dude. I think I might have lost my mayoral uh, you know, of, of Ponte Vedra, but I know all the mayors now. That's how I'm kind of routing myself around TPC Sawgrass. I go find the new mayors, well, I the just, newly elected one. I just know in the 10 years you and I did radio out there, this week, above all weeks, it was a pleasure to know you because literally everybody came up to Joe Cowart with a fist bump or a handshake or whatever. All right, Joe, what's the feeling out there? You've been out there a couple of days now. The tournament gets underway tomorrow morning certainly some storylines coming in but a broad overview how are things shaping up this year well i think it's a the way the tour schedule has unfolded with these really big names going toe-to-toe head-to-head each week and we can go back to riviera we can go to bay hill this past week there has just been some really good moments for the tour and we've seen john rom already win three times we saw Kurt Kitayama beat a lot of the game's best this past week. And so it's setting up. We have a ton of the top players in the world that are here, even though you have some that aren't the defending champions not here. That certainly is a talking point uh, for not just for the fans, but for the tour itself. But you still have the cream of the crop that's coming here. And this golf course looks like it is growing in beautifully. There's going to be some thick rough. I don't know how fast the greens are, but we're seeing changing conditions really packed from today all the way through Sunday. It's going to be maybe a little windy one day, a little cooler one day. It's going to warm up. It's going to go back to to being cool. It might rain. So bottom line is it's going to change the golf course uh, day to day. Yeah, you mentioned John Rahm, the tear he's been on as of late. Is he clearly one of the favorites coming into this thing? Oh, he's the best player on the planet. Uh, you know, he blew up. He runs hot uh, when when he does not play well. It's just kind of in his Spanish blood. He runs hot. But he is the best player on the planet right now, and he has scored well here before. Now, he hasn't been able to put it all together, but he definitely is going to be one of the guys. If you're looking at betting favorites, he's going to draw as much attention as anyone at the betting window. And, you know, Rory certainly is going to be one of the guys that people will be looking at. But if you're just looking at numbers and odds and the guys at the top, you're looking at a past champion in Justin Thomas is going to be a pretty good bet. Rory is probably the favorite right now at most sports books. And then John Rahm is right behind him. Scotty Scheffler's right there. So Max Homa is going to be a very popular name going into the tournament tomorrow. You can catch, you know, slightly bigger odds with him, but he's definitely capable of winning here. Joe Cowart of XL Primetime here with us on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. All right, Joe, I want to focus more on the guys that are here in a moment, but if memory serves, this is the first year where Live Golf has taken away some of the big names, the Bryson DeChambeau's, the Brooks Kepka's, Sergio, Phil Mickelson. You mentioned Cam Smith, the defending champion, is not here. What's the thought? I mean, this tournament, above all others, Joe, appears to be the tournament that is probably affected the most by the Live Golf Tour. Yeah, it, it is. And the fact that the majors have stepped forward and basically said that they're going to, until 
until an agreement is reached, they're going to take the world rankings. They're going to allow those players who are eligible to play in their tournaments. Uh, we know that the PGA Tour runs this event. It does not run the other four majors. So this is their tournament, their choice. And they have said, if you go against what the tour policies are, you're not going to be a member. And I have no problem with that. But Steve Elkington, a two-time winner, a two-time winner of the players, was on XL Primetime with us yesterday, and he said he would just like to have seen all five say, okay, you can play until the world ranking points figure themselves out. It would be nice. It's just impossible right now. You cannot. And look, I'm, I work for the tour. Everybody knows that that's listening. But you cannot have a rival tour coach players pay them guaranteed money, and then invite those guys to come back and compete for your biggest prize. This is a, the winner gets four and a half million dollars. This is a $25 million purse. You can't have both of, you know, what you want. Okay. It's a wife and a girlfriend. You just can't do that. And so, no, they're just having, they're having to live with it. It sucks that Cameron Smith is not here, but it's just the way it is. You know, final question about the live tour, and then we'll get back to more pressing issues with the players beginning tomorrow out there at Ponte Vedra. Joe, it was every week that a big name was going to the Live Tour. And, again, I'm not as tied in as you are to the golfing world, the golfing community, but it doesn't seem like that's happening uh, near as much now as it was, you know, four, five, six months ago. What is the reasoning for that? Well, I, I guess a couple of things. They spent a lot of money uh, for the guys that they went and originally got. And they saw this leveling out of, okay, we've got what is a 48-player field, and they probably are still out there with a salesman approach to try and poach one or two more just so they can ding the tour if they can. And you can follow the rumors. They think there's, you know, one or two more that might be out there. A couple of weeks ago, one or two went over, but they're just not big names. And, and the other part of this act is that they the, – that rival tour has now basically said, we paid all your expenses last year, you and your caddy, we took care of everything. Now it's all on you. You have to figure out a way to finance your team. You have to do these other things. And so the lower level guys are not seeing that big payday as originally thought. They're having to work for it a little bit, which is the way it should be. And so I just think everything's just kind of leveled out just a little bit to where they're not gonna be able to go and, and, and milk the tour for more players. At least I hope not. I think there's still enough guys on this side of the golf argument that say, you know what, I want to play against the best. I want to see if I can beat the best, and I want to get the most out of it. Joe Cowart of XL Primetime. All right, Joe, as we begin to wrap up, let's take a look at the tournament. It does begin tomorrow morning with the weather forecast, the wind out there. That's always the big determining factor, right? particularly on 17, a little bit on 18. What will the wind be doing? That's going to determine a lot as far as how hard the golf course is going to play. What does the forecast tell you when you look at it? Yeah, it's windy today, dude. It, it's it's chilly out here. It's certainly windy. It's going to, I think, still come in a little bit off the ocean over the next day or two. They're talking about rain possibly coming in Friday. We're talking about highs in the low 70s, basically three of the four days. So if you are out here or you're watching it and you see those flags uh, just kind of at full tilt because that wind's pressing in off the Atlantic, it makes for a great golf course and, and a great challenge. And, and we all know they can score easily here if there isn't any wind. 
Now the rough has grown up a lot more, at least in my mind. I'm walking around uh, with the Military Appreciation Day yesterday and checking out Riley Green with the concert on 17. And you walk around a number of these holes and you're like, holy smokes, this is, the further you get from the fairway, it's three, four, five inch rough. That, that's heavy duty. That's that overseeded ride that used to make this golf course play very tough. So going to have to drive it well. Not going to be able to pull driver out of the bag too often, especially if it is uh, a little windy. So, yeah, I do think it sets up for a tougher, tougher golf course. And look, I don't mind if we're somewhere around 12 or 14 under par at weeks in. I like seeing scoring, and I think the tournament understands that as well. They don't want to beat the brains out of the player, but they definitely want to give them a challenge. Joe, for people listening tonight that are making their way out there tomorrow or certainly making their way out there at some point this weekend, what are some of the stops? What's new out there? What do people need to check out that maybe hasn't been out there before? Dude, you know as well as I do, Jared Rice, the tournament director, he never stops as far as looking around and going, what don't we have? What can we offer the fans, uh, you know, a, another level of experience everywhere you go? If you're coming out, hang around 17. That is obviously the signature Island Green, the must that you can sit on the hill. I encourage you betting, okay? If you sit on the hill, you pick one, two, or three golfer closest to the pin, first in. You can come up with all sorts of games. But behind 17, you've got the Grove. You've got all sorts of really cool, uh, you know, spots that you can enjoy food there. Then you go over to Tacos on 12. You go to a Taste of Jack's between 11 and 12. They've got a new uh, – uh, kind of redesigned par five ninth, which I think is going to set up very, very well. Uh, the front side's got so many other spots around there where you can go and enjoy cold ultras, whatever you're into and some great food. So, uh, you know, as well as I do, dude, there is so, there's so much happening around this golf course. Uh, you shouldn't really want for anything while you're out here. All right, Joe, leave us with this. What's your gut telling you? You got a prediction who wins this thing? Well, I'm kind of a, a little bit all over the map. I like Max Holma a lot because I do think he's just got the, the game that, that's perfect for it. Colin Morikawa has not played particularly well of late. Uh, off and on, had a big lead in Hawaii, then lost it. But I just kind of feel like he might have something for us. Uh, Will Zalatoris, I think, might have something for us. Uh, he's a guy who's won once. You can get nice odds on him. He's almost like a 30-1. to 1. And then another guy who's won here before and is really starting to crest up again, and I love seeing it, is Jason Day. He and Tiger Woods are the only players in the 21st century that were number one coming in and won this tournament, and I'd love to see him be able to get back in it. Uh, so he, he, he would be one to watch, too. You get Joe Coward every day on XL Primetime. He's always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. Joe C., enjoy the players. This is your week, my friend. We'll be listening. Thank you very much. All right, dude. Thank you to Joe Coward for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Again, we'll have live coverage of the players with players updates all day tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And a lot of our shows will be out there on location tomorrow and Friday. Back into the world of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Calvin Ridley was in town today. Shaquille Griffin has been cut. Evan Ingram has been franchised and free agency well, that begins on Monday. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Let's talk Jaguars offseason next on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Free agency less than a week away. A franchise tag has been handed out. And Calvin Ridley has officially been reinstated. There is a lot to get to when it comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And with that, 
Let me bring in my friend Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Brian, it's been a little while, man. How are you? I'm good, Rye. How's the out-of-season treating you? It's good. It's good. It's been busy when it comes to the Jaguars, some re-signings, some franchise tags, and a reinstatement. Brian, let's start from the top because it's been a while since we talked. Roy Robertson Harris. It did not know, it did not appear that we knew when the season ended if he would be back in 2023. Lo and behold, he is with a brand new contract. Your thoughts on Roy Robertson Harris returning as a Jaguar? Well, he was instrumental in that late season run, Ryan. If you remember the Jets game in the third quarter, I don't think any of us thought that the Jaguars were going to lose that game to Zach Wilson, but they brought in that scrambling running quarterback and there were a couple of plays on one series where Roy Robertson Harris shut it down. And then in the game against the Chargers, he made a couple of big plays late in the ball game. You know, one was the sack, but there were a couple of, you know, two gapping, run stuffing kind of plays where he set up his teammates for success. It was pretty clear that Roy Robertson Harris was a playmaker and a valuable guy on the defensive line. And, you know, for 10 million bucks a year, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. He's a bargain. He's a guy who can get a lot of things done with his big body. He can reach for balls. He can two-gap. He's got enough quickness and speed with his feet to be able to make a play on the quarterback. Um, they got a good deal with him. And I think when you start looking at your options, no matter whether you're playing more of a 4-3 or a 3-4 front, Fred Robertson Harris is the kind of guy you want. You know, it's interesting. The last time you and I talked, they were $30 million or so over the cap. And it's funny how that can just evaporate with a couple of restructurings. Roy Robertson Harris was one, Aluakin, Kirk, Sheriff, Zay Jones, all the restructurings, and all of a sudden that $32 million, Brian, went completely up in the air. Yeah. You know, they're still tied to it this year, Ryan, because they're one of two teams, the Bengals being the other team, and it's no coincidence they're both small market you know, communities that hadn't pushed money forward. In other words, they had claimed what they had paid in the year that they had paid it. Well, when you start to get to this point where you've got guys, and a quarterback in particular, now you've got to start playing some caponomics. And that's what the Jaguars are doing. If you remember nothing else I say about this, it's cash over cap. Because if you can pay a guy up front, in other words, if your owner has enough liquidity and the willingness to spend cash, you can do deals where more money is paid down the line, or you can shrink a cap figure, for instance, a guy like Roy Robertson Harris or a Christian Kirk, you can shrink it by taking their base salary, converting it to salary or to signing bonus, and then pushing it out evenly, amortizing it over the length of the contract. You can play all kinds of games, but you got to have the cash, and this owner has it, and he's willing to spend it. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brian, a couple of under-the-radar re-signings, but important nonetheless. C.J. Beathard, Jamichael Hasty will both return. Beathard, uh, to me, that's huge for familiarity and for comfort for Trevor Lawrence. And as far as Jamichael Hasty goes, Brian, I thought he showed some things towards the end of last year. I'm happy he's going to be back in 2023. Yeah, they like him because he's a guy who has speed. If you recall that 60-yard off-tackle touchdown that he had in Indianapolis back in October, he's also got some power, and he's a good receiver out of the backfield. He made that touchdown catch against the Cowboys. So he's a versatile guy. He's not very expensive. 
but he does a lot of the things that they want to do. And most importantly, Ryan, he's really strong at pass protection, which means that you can put him on the field in any situation on any down and not worry. You know, compare that with a guy like Snoop Connor. They couldn't play him a lot last year because he didn't have to know pass protection schemes at Ole Miss like he does in the NFL, and he just wasn't up to speed yet. So a guy like Hasty's very valuable because you can use him in a lot of different situations. And, you know, look, in most cases, if you lose your starting quarterback, especially one of the caliber of Trevor Lawrence, you're screwed. I mean, you're, you're not winning. But as Chad Henney proved in that divisional playoff game, you may only need a series or two from your guy to keep you alive. And Henney obviously did that. They believe that C.J. Beathard is Chad Henney. He's got a good arm. He's not an elite quarterback. He's not a front-line starter. But if you need to put him in and keep the game going, or the season going, if he has to play for a game or two, they really like him. And, of course, man, the chemistry in that room, anybody I talked to, Ryan, this year, coaches, players, they talked about how Trevor and C.J. worked so well together, and especially with all the young quarterbacks that they had throughout camp, E.J. Perry being another guy. They really like that quarterback room, and the chemistry's got to be there, and Beathard brought it. Brian, as far as the coaching staff and that quarterback room, Beathard will be back. Obviously, Doug Peterson, Press Taylor, Mike McCoy. They did lose Jim Bob Cooter. How big of a loss is that for what Trevor and the Jaguar offense wants to do moving forward? They won't feel it at all. You know, I mean, the role that Jim Bob was in was to do a lot of self-scouting and then league scouting. So he would be looking around the league for concepts and plays, like that fourth down play where the Jaguars won the ball game against the Chargers. I mean, that's what he does. Phil Rauscher brought that play. I don't want to take credit away from Phil. But what Jim Bob Cooter was doing was just a, it was a bridge year for him until he got a chance to go back and be an offensive coordinator, which he did this year. So they bring in someone else. That passing game coordinator role is really, you know, works at the pleasure of the head coach, projects as assigned. When it comes to Trevor Lawrence, the two most important, three most important, obviously Doug Peterson, second, Press Taylor, but Mike McCoy is the guy who should get a lot of credit for bringing him along this year in game situations. Mike's a tremendous coach. No disrespect to Jim Bob Cooter. He did a good job. Just look at the results. But that's a position you fill next, next, next. You go get your guy. A couple of more for Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. All right, Brian, the big stories that have happened in the last couple of days. We will begin with Evan Ingram. We know he will be back. They did not reach a long-term deal, but they have placed the franchise tag on Evan Ingram. My one piece of trepidation on that is I think Evan's excited about being back. He said as much on social media, but he also made a comment. I don't know if you saw this on social media the difference between the franchise tag number for a tight end money-wise and that of a slot receiver, which is about $4 million difference. And it caught my attention that Ingram made reference to that, I believe a couple of days ago. So my question to you, could that get sticky when it comes to a long-term deal with Evan Ingram, the, the finances of that? Yeah, I mean, the potential is always there because careers are so short. Um, you know, I, I, it was interesting, Trent Balky said this, two or three times over the course of the season to a group of us who were standing on the practice that you want to be really careful 
when you're negotiating with a player during the season. In fact, he didn't like to do it, which is why they didn't get Evan done earlier, because you don't want to insult them. It sends them sideways. You want them focused on football. You want to make sure, and Evan Ingram is as good a human being, I think, as we've had in that locker room in a long time. He's a great teammate. He's great with the media. But careers are short, and you start thinking about yours and what they're paying you, and you can get stubborn pretty quickly if you feel like you are highly undervalued coming off a career year. Um, my sense is that they're still working very hard to try to get that long-term deal in place. And you know, Ryan, and your listeners may also, the deadline for them to get that is not next week. It's in July. So they've got plenty of time to kind of work this thing through. And as long as they're showing him the respect, and Balky's comments tell me that they are, I think they can get somewhere where it works for both sides. Brian, how did that happen? I was talking about this last night. About a year ago, uh, they signed Evan Ingram from New York, and I was getting text messages like, oh, he doesn't stay healthy. He drops the ball. He's a problem in the locker room. He was against the fans in New York. You know, all this stuff. And now all of a sudden, he's the Jaguars franchise player. I mean, what a what a turnaround for that young man. Yeah. You know, look, he, you can't forget what he did on the field, right? I mean, as the season went along and they developed his role and the chemistry and the quarterback all came together, and they did. As the quarterback hit his stride, I mean, he was looking for Ingram, and Ingram made play after play. But he was happy here. He saw how they were going to use him in Doug Peterson's offense. It's why he signed here in the first place. It's Trevor Lawrence's locker room, and you know what kind of a person Trevor Lawrence is. And and that means something. He was happy here. There's no pressure here compared to New York, for goodness sakes, where the media and the fans are so aggressive about it. Not that the media and the fans here aren't professional and don't want to win. It's just a different chemistry in Jacksonville than it is in New York. I, I don't think I need to explain that. But he found a spot, Ryan like a lot of us do in our careers, whether you're in radio or whether you're in business or law or, or education, whatever, where you're happy. And it was clear early on that the coach, the quarterback, the city, just all fit him. And then he went out and produced. I, I love the guy. He was one of my go-to guys in the locker room. He never said no. He never met a question that he was, wasn't willing to try to answer. He loved everything about last season. So that's why I have such optimism that they will get something done for him. Because Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke and, of course, Trevor Lawrence all know who he is and value him highly. Sometimes the right place at the right time falls in your lap, and I think it did for both sides. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, as we begin to wrap up, Calvin Ridley officially reinstated earlier this week. I was stunned by that. Not that he got reinstated, you know, I, I was thinking April, maybe May. He got reinstated, Brian, three weeks after he applied. The NFL never goes that fast. So I wonder if maybe they think in the back of their mind the penalty was too harsh and they reinstated him right off the bat. I was stunned that it happened this quick. Well, I wasn't because I don't think there was any reason to push it into the off season. With the league year beginning next year and the paperwork having been filed in February, there was no reason. A month's time is more than enough to be able to, to look back over the last year or so and see that he was ready to go. 
Ryan, I had someone that I really trust in the league tell me that the Jaguars would not have made the deal for Calvin Ridley if they didn't believe completely that he would be reinstated, that he was going to be coming back. Somewhere in the league office, they said, hey, look, nothing's 100%, but the kid is on track. You can expect that he's probably going to sail through the process. There was no reason to push it. And don't ever underestimate that the NFL likes success stories, right? And, and the NFL is now in bed with professional gambling. So if they've got a success story about a guy who had a gambling problem or a gambling issue, but he came back and now he's corrected it, they're going to want to tell it. They're going to want to be able to show people, see, it's not that big of a deal. We can have this kind of a problem. We can overcome this problem. Um, the NFL is going to use this to their benefit. They're letting the Jaguars benefit and really benefit from it. Really, I can't see any reason not to do it right now. There's, you, you don't need to dig anymore or drag this process out. He's been out for more than a year. Time to let him back into the game. That's a really good point about Ridley and using that to tell his story. That's a really good point. Brian, what does Ridley bring to this offense? Well, he's your true alpha. I mean, he's the, he's the big, fast, uh, you know, incredible ball skills kind of guy who every defensive coordinator is going to have to scheme Calvin Ridley, which means that that's one less thing they can focus on. Look, this offense with Ridley, Kirk, Jones, Ingram, and ETN, I can't believe I'm saying this. It's almost unfair. There are so many chess pieces for Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence to put together. Ridley is going to make defensive coordinators take him away, which is going to leave something for someone else. The Jaguars haven't had that kind of a guy in a long time. Allen Robinson's probably the last guy that defensive coordinators had to go, all right, no matter what, we got to find a way to make sure he doesn't beat us. It's been a long time. Now you've legitimately got a guy who is a big-time playmaker with all the intangibles, all the measurables, that is going to, if he does not have a huge game, open a spot for someone else to be an impact player also. Brian, final question. I have spent so much time, you have as well, over the last six weeks saying the names Jawan Taylor, Arden Key. We now have clarity on Evan Ingram. Free agency officially begins on Monday. Penn can meet paper next Wednesday. Uh, what are we thinking as far as not only those guys, but the Andrew Wingards of the world, Chris Manhurts, Dan Arnold? What are your thoughts on some of the Jaguars' in-house free agents? Well, I, I think all things being equal, if the Jaguars want to keep the, the Dan Arnold crowd, they can, right? Uh, those guys are going to be in a certain income bracket, and they will want to come back to Jacksonville for all the obvious reasons, right? The coach, the quarterback, the playoff run last year, the weather, the tax situation, this is a very desirable place for people to play. It's a desirable place for people to live. We all know that. It's why we live here. So those guys, you'll get back. The Juwan Taylor thing is really hard because you can't. You can't keep everybody. If you could, the Cardinals never would have let Calais Campbell go, right? Um, that's the best example I can think of. You just can't keep everybody. They drafted Walker Little, and Walker Little is a player. And you have to be willing to let some guys walk to make the salary structure work. So if Juwan gets kind of an offer, and there's really two offensive tackles 
in his free agent class. A left tackle in Orlando Brown and a right tackle in Jawan Taylor. Someone is going to make him a blockbuster deal. Can you find a number that works for both sides that keeps him here? I don't know. They're tied against the cap this year. They're going to be able to pay the quarterback next year. There's a lot of thought, Ryan, that has to go into it. If you can't, well, that's why you drafted Juwan Taylor. I'm sorry, that's why you drafted Walker Little, to be able to fit that. No matter what, going forward, the Jaguars have to put jars on the shelf. They have to put good young players that they develop into a position to be able to replace players that they can't afford to pay when the quarterback is a $70 million a year guy. And that day's coming, and everyone knows it. They've got to be better than they've ever been at drafting and developing. And both the coach and the general manager said as much at the end of the season. So I would love Juwan Taylor back. He's a great player. He's a great person. But it's going to be really tough with some of these teams that have cap room at a premium position like offensive tackle. Yeah, conventional thinking at this point. Ingram's obviously back. Taylor is probably gone. Arden Key, Brian, as we say goodbye, that's probably the one that's up in the air. I could really see that one going either way. Yeah. You know, again, he's a pass rusher is one of those that people will overpay for a pass rusher. And he came in last year, and he was relentless. He didn't stagger people with the sheer number of sacks. But if you go back and watch cut-ups of, of him rushing the passer, man, he was good, Ryan. It's going to be tough to keep him, too. Draft and develop. This would be a good time for Caleb on Chase on, who's coming up into a contract situation shortly, to step up and become Arden Key. He's got all the intangible. He's got all the height, the weight, all that. Caleb on Chase on's a guy they really need to start playing. Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com. Brian, thank you for the time. Certainly appreciate it. Let's do it again right before the draft. We'll see how the Jaguars fared in free agency. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, I'll be. I'll be in Kansas City. We can touch from there. And thank you to Brian Sexton, Jaguars.com, for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. And, yeah, it really is amazing. You know, the season in Kansas City ended about six and a half weeks ago and everything that's already transpired, the re-signings of C.J. Beathard, Jermichael Hasty, the extension for Roy Robertson-Harris, the uh, departures of some coaches, including Jim Bob Cooter, but yet the biggest ones, everybody was talking about $32 million over the salary cap. Well, not anymore. After all the restructurings, Evan Ingram gets franchised. Calvin Ridley gets reinstated. Calvin Ridley, by the way, was at the facility today. I don't know if you saw that on the Jaguar uh, Twitter page, but he did the tour of the facility. You should have seen the excitement in the video, and I'm sure you can see it there at the Jaguar's uh, Twitter page the uh, excitement that Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke had when Calvin Ridley arrived. But just so much has gone on with the Jaguars, and now free agency begins the negotiation period on Monday. People can agree to terms, and then Penn can meet paper on contracts one week from today, next Wednesday. So we are right in the heart of the NFL offseason. There is no question about that. Well, that'll just about wrap it up on what has been a very busy Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Again, thank you to my friend Brian Sexton of Jaguars.com. Always appreciate Brian's perspective on the Jaguars here on Hacker After Dark. My man Joe Coward, you hear him every day on XL Primetime. We are well inside 
of 12 hours until the players begins opening round tomorrow out of the stadium course at Sawgrass. We'll see what happens. John Rahm looks very good coming in. Of course, you got Rory McIlroy, Jason Day has looked good as of late. Could he win another player's championship? We will see as first round action begins tomorrow morning. And Sam Munson, lead analyst of ProFootballFocus.com. We kind of did a blueprint for the Jaguar offseason. If you missed that conversation, Jaguar fans, I would highly recommend it. Just go to 1010XL.com's on-demand page. Sam is very busy this time of year, and we certainly appreciate him making time for us on Hacker After Dark. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Thursday, and we will do it all over again. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the Hacker Ryan Green and Jacksonville. Thank you for spending part of your Wednesday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Wednesday evening, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Thursday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.